Hello and welcome to episode 3 of our Data Center podcast series. The series where we take a dive into the world of data centers, providing insights on the rapidly growing industry that we should all be aware of as data centers become increasingly central to the way in which the world works. I'm Charlie Goodwin, an associate in the Simmons Insurance and Construction Group, and over the next two episodes of this series, we're going to take a closer look at data centers as a mainstream asset class and explore the underlying business of a data center. Throughout the series so far, we have heard how data centers are quickly becoming one of the fastest growing alternative investment asset classes. This is increasingly interesting businesses and investors alike. For businesses, external data centers can support digital transformation as well as reduce costs and improve information and system security. For investors, the exponential demand for space to store and process data, the growing importance of real estate as a service, and the desire for long-term income all make data centers an attractive prospect. Over the next two episodes, I'm going to be speaking with experts from the Simmons & Simmons data center team, who should be sharing their insight into the current trends in the sector and providing some key commercial advice on a variety of data center deals from the team's experience of working with data center clients. I shall also get the thoughts of Tom Dryden, partner at McGill & Partners and a specialist in cyber insurance. First up, I spoke to Kirsty Barnes, head of the Simmons & Simmons data center team and a partner in our banking group, who has extensive experience of working with various international financial institutions, borrowers and sponsors on a broad range of UK-centric and international financing transactions. Kirsty, thanks for joining. So what are the first points to consider when looking to finance the data center? The first question to ask is really what type of finance are you looking for? what's required. And in looking at that, it's really understanding what stage the project has reached. Are you looking for an acquisition financing, a development financing, or is it a general working capital line that you're looking for? Or is it a combination of all three? So understanding the underlying project and what's actually required is key to then looking at what type of financing is going to be required to take that project forward. And how important is it for the lender to establish what it is actually funding and what their covenants will be linked to? This is the key point for any lender. The financing type is what the lender will need to consider at the very outset. Any lender will look initially to the type of financing required by the data centre operator or developer, and that will drive what both financing considerations there are, what economic considerations there are for the financing, and also what documentation and covenants will be required by that lender. So, for example, if it's the acquisition of an underlying asset, a property asset, then obviously the covenants that the lender will require will be linked to the loan and the value of the underlying asset, the property. And in that particular type of financing, the valuation of the property will be key. However, if the financing is required to develop a new site, for example, then the lender's considerations will be different. The economics of the underlying loan will also be different, and therefore the covenants linked to that loan will be driven by the development costs and the underlying construction contracts and in particular for the lender's perspective, their ability to take security over those contracts will be key for the lender to evaluate that particular project. So in terms of an existing business, 
the lenders' considerations will also be very different. They'll look instead at funding the operating asset and therefore any covenants and documentation that they want to put in place will be linked to the revenues that are generated. The net operating income will be key and also the underlying customer contracts which drive that revenue will be absolutely key to the lenders in looking at the viability of the lending that they're looking to put in place. They will want to know from a lending perspective what those customer contracts are, how long they're in place for, what kind of optionality is there in those contracts for additional space or extensions. So two common types of financing are construction financing and acquisition financing. What are the key considerations for both of these? If the lender is providing construction financing, then the underlying construction contracts and the deliverability of the project itself are going to be key considerations. The lender will want to review the underlying construction contracts for all of the key members of the project team and ensure that those contracts are very robust. The key thing also for the lender is to understand that they can keep the project going should there be a default by the borrower, by the data centre operator. And the lender will look to take security over the construction contracts by way of collateral warranties, which will contain step-in rights. Other key considerations in construction financing um, that the lender will be very interested in are the PI cover levels of each of the main contractors actually producing and delivering the contract. If the lender is providing acquisition financing, then the underlying asset and the process for the acquisition is key. Is it the acquisition of a freehold or leasehold property, for example, or is it the acquisition of a business which owns a data centre operator or data centre developer? And in particular, the lender will be looking to understand what are the underlying assets, what are the consents required to ensure that the acquisition can take place without triggering any forfeiture rights in the underlying either property contracts or in the underlying customer contracts if you're purchasing a business. So two very different types of financing with very, very different considerations. And Kirsty, finally, what are the common topics any lender will also be interested in, irrespective of what type of financing is being obtained? So the data centre sector is a very specific sector and lenders have become aware of the very specific types of issues that drive lending across this sector generally. As you can understand, any data centre has a number of key issues that it needs to ensure are remaining in place at any time. I'm thinking here in relation to energy supply, connectivity, and more importantly, security. The lender will want to understand that the underlying data centre operator has all of these things in place. So in particular, in relation to energy supply, it will want to ensure that the contracts, the substation placements, the latency of any backup systems and the UPS, the uninterruptible power supply, are robust enough to ensure continued delivery of the underlying services. The reason the lender will obviously want to look at this as a, a key element in any of its funding reviews 
are to ensure that the customer contracts which drive the revenue coming through, which will ultimately pay down the lender's loans to the, the borrower, are going to be robust and are not going to be able to be terminated through any lack of supply of energy or connectivity and therefore create a breach under the customer contract. Customer contracts, as I've mentioned, are also key to any lender review of a data centre proposition. And the lender is going to want to ensure that the customer contracts are robust enough. As we said, those customer contracts actually drive the revenues which therefore allow the borrower to make any repayments of the loan that the lender has made available. And the lender is going to want to review those customer contracts to make sure that any change of control or termination rights are linked to a specific set of circumstances and can't be triggered um, very easily by the customers. It's a balancing act, obviously because the customer contracts are not entered into with the lender, but the lender will want to understand what those uh, customer contracts actually contain in terms of terms and conditions. Finally, one of the key things for a lender to understand is the insurance coverage that the underlying business has in place. Obviously, all lenders will want to ensure that the insurance coverage that the data center provider has taken out is sufficient to deal with all particular aspects of its business and any interruptions or issues with that business as it goes forward. Brilliant. Thanks, Kirsty. And that brings us nicely on to our next topic for this episode, customer contracts. We spoke to James Cotter, a partner in our digital business team, to get his take on the hottest topics at present in data center customer contracts. James, thanks for joining us to discuss the hottest topics in data center customer contracts at present. Let's start with GDPR regulatory requirements. What are you seeing here? Thanks, Charlie. Um, I'm seeing that regulatory change in the form of GDPR and other uh, similar relevant laws internationally, alongside the evolution of data center product and service offerings, is making life much more complicated. In the past, data center offerings were first and foremost for simple co-location of customer equipment in third-party data center space. From a privacy perspective and in the context of laws in place at that time, this meant a limited role of a data center operator in terms of control over uh, and responsibility for data and therefore relatively limited regulatory risk. However, things have clearly changed. GDPR uh, and other laws elsewhere go further. Plus, data centers are moving up the value chain to offer either more hands-on services uh, or indeed broader solutions rather than just a provision of space uh, and facilities. This means that data centers have more regulatory obligations. There's a bit more complexity and more risk to allocate uh, in terms of the contractual relationships with customers. And are there additional complexities in customer contracts depending on a customer's business sector? That's a good question, Charlie. Much is the same, but naturally customers who are in highly regulated sectors have their own pressures and their own needs. There's no better example than this than the financial services sector in which has been a rapidly increasing focus on uh, operational resilience, including rules and requirements in relation to cybersecurity uh, and also third party outsourcing or supply arrangements. The financial services regulators in the UK and elsewhere have greatly increased the detail of and burdens under their rules. This is manifesting itself in the context of data centers 
in more comprehensive pre- and post-contract due diligence and contract uh, and relationship governance, and also in the requirement for more robust and detailed contracts. Contract terms required go well beyond what data centre operators would conventionally have liked to sign up to, and they raise some really difficult questions regarding the level of oversight and control that a customer can sensibly have over data centre services. One great example of this is that financial services rules require that in many contracts a customer should have detailed audit rights over its suppliers. And this immediately throws up security and confidentiality issues for the data centre and the data centres of our customers. And these all need you know, careful navigation. And finally, we've heard previously that operators are moving away from traditional co-location models. What are the trends we see with this? Yes, uh, I mentioned this in the context of regulatory uh, implications in the context of privacy rules, uh, once an operator has more access or control over data. Many operators are building out their service offerings. For instance, this might include uh, offering forms of consulting or professional services in relation to cloud deployment, uh, or equally, it might include uh, a bit more uh, hands-on um, support in uh, the receipt of, of conventional co-location services. Operators are also offering much broader solutions in co-location, both to corporate customers and also to other types of customer like telcos uh, and hyperscalers. Rather than just take co-location space, customers may buy computing infrastructure or a range of managed services from data center operators, and this is a real uh, step change uh, in the industry. As well as regulatory implications, different offerings radically change what contract terms are either relevant uh, or appropriate. Um, and when I say appropriate, I mean in terms of meeting regulatory requirements or simply reflecting a fair uh, allocation of obligations and risk. Brilliant. Thanks, James. Our final topic on this episode is energy and connectivity. As we have already heard in this series, energy and connectivity are of fundamental importance to both the construction and the functioning of a data centre. I spoke to Mark Ferve and Andrew Petrie, partners in our energy, natural resources and infrastructure team, to get their thoughts on the practical considerations for the industry when considering these issues. Andrew, if we can start with you, how important is an energy procurement strategy to an owner of a data centre? Well, actually, it's incredibly important. Um, data centers are extremely heavy consumers of power. It's estimated in 2020 that globally about 200 terawatt hours of power was consumed by data centers. Uh, and in countries where you have high concentrations of data centers, uh, it can make up a much higher proportion of um, uh, output. For example, in Ireland, um, uh, something like 11% of the country's electricity consumption is purely in data centers. Uh, and therefore, um, getting cheap power is uh, an essential part of the competitiveness of any data center, ensuring that uh, you know the overall attractiveness of their data center over the competitors and and offering you know good terms for uh, their customers and hosting their equipment. Mark, we heard in episode two of this podcast series about the importance of a grid connection for a data center. Now, what are the key issues around the actual connection? So if you're looking at a new build data center um, in a location where um, there may not be other um, heavy users of power, then it's quite important for the data center owner and, and operator to understand um, the, the 
nature of the electricity grid to which the uh, data center is going to be connected as a very heavy user power is the grid able to support that heavy consumption and would there be any um, competitive um, uses of that um, connection or nearby connections that could impact the ability of the data center to uh, receive um, power smoothly um, if other parties will connect to that uh, connection will it be able to uh, bear um, the multiple connections and if it cannot and there is a need to upgrade the connection then uh, who will bear the cost will it be uh, all parties equally or the last party in who needs to upgrade the connection to for its own uh, its own use so uh, it's it's a very important part of the infrastructure and the interface between uh, the data center and the electricity grid and as we know, backup power ensures data centers maintain their uptime capabilities. Andrew, what do owners and operators need to consider for backup power? So we've already mentioned the grid connection and obviously in, in most developed countries, uh, outages on the grid are relatively unusual, but they still occur. And from a business perspective, it's uh, a disaster if the data center actually has a, a, an outage and the services disrupted. That's why a key part of any design of any data center is um, the continuity of power supply, which involves backup generation. Um, this is partly a technological uh, question. Uh, so obviously the smooth switch over from grid supplied uh, power to um, on-site supplied power has to work smoothly. And also, of course, the source of that power is, is key. Clearly, one of the simplest uh, backup strategies would to be have uh, a diesel generator on site, which kicks in automatically, or perhaps even gas, quick start gas fired uh, generators. Although response times on those kinds of generators aren't always the fastest. Uh, another solution which plays better into the green agenda are um, battery backup solutions. The response times of those are much faster. Uh, and indeed, in fact, increasingly you get batteries on um, a grid basis uh, supplying backup um, with um, small fractions of seconds response time um, when when grids uh, are you know have outages or, or the, um, uh, the 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 frequency drops to, to levels where backup supply is required and finally mark assuming owners do have a green energy strategy what are the models available to them I could spend probably um, several hours uh, on, on this topic. I think, to be brief, I think there are probably three broad brush models. Um, the first is simply to um, buy electricity from um, regular industrial electricity supplier under a green energy tariff. Um, and um, you rely then on the energy supplier to tell you that the energy that they're getting is, is green. Um, uh, as a condition of, of the tariff um, and they will be able to evidence that uh, to the consumer but uh, you won't have any direct nexus with the underlying electricity you don't know what proportion of the electricity um, you're getting actually is is green um, when it's coming from the grid etc um, the second one is really one that's driven a huge amount of corporate purchase of electricity over the last few years and that's to enter into a direct purchase arrangement with a uh, renewable energy generator so-called corporate power purchase agreement or ppa and all the big uh, data center operators particularly those that have consumer facing operations such as google facebook microsoft 
uh, Amazon uh, Web Services have, have done this at scale, particularly in the United States and in Europe over the last few years. Uh, and they get um, an, either a direct electricity supply contract for transmission of power over the grid, and they get the renewable energy guarantees of origin or renewable energy certificates, depending on, on the country um, or region um, that, they, that they're operating in, which show that each megawatt hour of power generated by that asset is, is, is green, and that then goes to the consumer, which is able to match that against its consumption. Uh, and we've seen some more sophisticated models um, come into the market as well, where, um, for example, Google entered into a 24-7 arrangement in Germany, where the energy supply guarantees that the electricity that is being provided all of the time meets a, a minimum um, uh, green uh, energy uh, percentage. And then finally, and this goes to the backup power uh, side, is to have uh, on-site generation. Now, that's unlikely to be a, a reliable power supply for the entire electricity demand of the, of the data center, but ensuring that backup power or portion of the power supplied by the data center is green because it's, it's all very well having a green uh, electricity for the main power, but if you're then using diesel generation for the backup, that cuts across that. Uh, and so having a renewable element in the backup power would be, I suppose, the third um, broad um, way of dealing with that. Well, that concludes this first part of our episode doubleheader on data centers as a mainstream asset class. My thanks to Kirsty, James, Mark and Andrew for joining part one. And my thanks to you for listening. Next time in part two, we continue to explore data centers as a mainstream asset class as more of our experts provide their thoughts and advice on trends in the market. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>